This morning, as we prepare for a baptism in a few minutes, um, I wanted us to read a passage that, that mentions baptism and, and learn what we can about uh, baptism this morning. Uh, not that we can learn all that we need to from just one passage. So I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 41, found on page 1,158, if you're using a pew Bible. Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 41. And Acts chapter 2 is about the day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Uh, and afterwards, Peter preaches a sermon. The apostle Peter preaches a sermon. And he, uh, I'm going to jump in kind of a, toward the end of his sermon, so I'm not reading all of it. Uh, but the part that, that gets to the response, which includes baptism, we're going to read here from chapter 2, 29 through 41. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed one, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have, whom you have crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day, there were added to that day, about 3,000 souls. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these words as we look at the beginning of your New Testament church. We thank you for these words written by Luke, first for the audience of his day, but also for us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what it is that you would have for us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was visiting my mom and sister uh, earlier this, this summer, 
my sister showed me a, a baptismal certificate of my grandmother, whose name was, to me was Grandma Mary. And she was baptized in the Serbian Orthodox Church outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And this surprised me because my mom grew up Russian Orthodox. But I'm guessing that that was the closest that they could find at that time or that her family could find at that time. Uh, and so she was baptized in the Serbian Orthodox Church near there. And I'm going to imagine, I'm going to guess that she was probably immersed because Eastern Orthodox churches immerse infants. So she probably was immersed. We're not going to immerse Thomas this morning. You don't need to, to worry about that. But uh, uh, what struck me, though, about this was the, the, how official this, this document was. It, was. it had a seal on it. It was notarized. It was very important to this church that it be duly authorized and recognized. And I'm sure it was important to my grandmother because it was saved uh, in the family here through the years, even though she was baptized roughly 100 years ago, maybe a little longer than that. But Christian baptism mattered to this church that my grandmother was baptized in as an infant. Um, and when, when she was baptized, again, it, it was so important that it not just be written down, but it be sealed, that it be notarized that it could be proven that she was baptized as an infant. Baptism still matters today. It matters to God, and it should matter to us as well. Jesus gave the command, as we read earlier, uh, to go and make disciples. Baptizing and teaching uh, were the two uh, modes by which that was primarily to be done. So what can we learn about baptism from the book of Acts and from Acts chapter 2? And I will say the book of Acts as a whole because I'm not just going to look at that. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't already opened the Bible, because I'm going to look at some other verses in Acts. Um, and I'm, I'm going to move quickly, so you'll have to move quickly. But if you have a Bible open, you'll at least have a chance to follow me. Or you can just listen as well. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and some other verses in Acts as well. So as we're looking at this passage in Acts chapter 2, Peter, as we mentioned, has been preaching on the day of Pentecost, the day in which the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. And he's already mentioned that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again, that he was exalted. But he, he reminds them and proclaims them. Here are two verses that I didn't read from Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised from the dead. You crucified, he's, he's saying to the crowd here of, of Jews, and killed by the hands of lawless men. All this, Jesus' death and his resurrection, his, his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, has just taken place in a span of time, about 50 days. Jesus died on a Friday. He was raised on a Sunday. Forty days later, he ascended to the Father's right hand. Ten days after that, the Holy Spirit is poured out. All this is happening right before Peter preaches these words on, on Pentecost. And so now he's telling those who are listening to him at that time that they must accept and submit to Jesus. Jesus, whom he says they've killed, they've crucified, they must now submit to Jesus as Lord and Christ, as Messiah, 
God's anointed one and Christ's. Verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so after Peter confronts them with this news that Jesus whom they helped to kill is both God's anointed one, Christ and Messiah, he is now alive. He is risen. He's alive forever. He's risen from the dead. And that these Jews who heard this were cut to the heart. What does that mean? It means that they were convicted of, of their sin. They were stricken in their conscience. And they asked the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, in verse 37 and 38 of chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how are the, the hearers to respond to this message that Peter has preached? Well, in two ways. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repentance is closely connected to baptism here. And as we think about what repentance is, it involves a, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction from moving away from God to turning around and doing a 180 and coming back towards God, confessing our sins and asking God to forgive us. It's like the prodigal son who asks for his inheritance and then he turns his back on God and goes away into the far country and then he comes to his senses, he repents. He turns around and comes back toward God and uh, toward his father and asks forgiveness. He comes back home. Repentance is about coming back home to God our Father. Coming in a spirit of humility and humbling ourselves before God, confessing our sins and changing our minds, our hearts, and our direction. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, uh, repent, therefore, Peter says, repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins might be blotted out, that they may, might be wiped out. The turning of the mind and the heart and direction in life is connected with receiving forgiveness of sins. They cannot receive, his hearers cannot receive forgiveness if they're still turning away from God. They need to turn around and turn toward God. Rather than turning their backs to him, they need to turn their face to him and fall down in humility before him. Forgiveness of sins is one of the gifts that is promised and pictured in baptism. The washing away of our sins and repentance itself is a gift from God, according to Acts chapter 5, verse 31, if you want to flip ahead to that. Acts 5, 31 says, God exalted him, that is Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we may ask this morning, is forgiveness of sins only for the Israelites? Is it not for the people of the nations? And of course it is, it's for all people everywhere. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says, Acts eleven eighteen says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles, that is those who are not Jewish, God, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
Repentance is a gift. It's a gift for the Jewish people, but it's also a gift for people of the nations as well. And not only does God grant the gift of repentance, but he also grants a gift that goes with it, faith. The two always go together, in fact. The person who repents believes, and the person who believes repents. They're like two sides of a coin, heads and tails. You don't, you don't get heads without having tails on the other side of the coin as well. And so in Acts 20, verses 20 and 21, Paul, the apostle, says uh, he testifies both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. And so the God's word to us this morning, as it was in that time, was, is repent. Yes, there's an initial repentance where we, for the first time, turn from turning our backs on God and we turn toward him. But there's also a correction, as it were, kind of like getting your, your tires on your car realigned. You know, as we, as we go off the course, we need a correction. That's what repentance is about. It's getting back on the straight and narrow, so we're headed back in the direction that God wants us to go. And so Peter's word to his readers and to us as well this morning is repent. Yes, for the first time, if you've never done it before, but it's a a lifestyle of repenting, of of recorrecting, realigning the wheels of our life so that they're facing on the straight and narrow toward God and the way he wants us to go. So which areas of your life of your thoughts, of your words, or your deeds need to be realigned? Are we indifferent toward God this morning? Are we spiritually apathetic? Does worship not mean much to us? Peter calls us to repent of those kinds of attitudes. What about our thinking about baptism itself? If if that's not helpful or if it's wrong-headed in any way, that might be something else. And there could be any number of things this morning that we would need to repent of. But Peter's first word to us this morning is repent. It applies to all of us in some way or another. You can search your own heart and and ask God to show you where it is that you need to repent. But the second response to this good news of Jesus, to his death and resurrection, is to be baptized. What does it mean to be baptized? Well, first of all, it's not something that we do ourselves. It's something done to us. Um, We are passive in the process of, of of being baptized. Um, uh, God is the one ultimately who baptizes us with his Holy Spirit, but even when we're baptized with water, somebody else is doing the baptizing. We don't do it for ourselves or to ourselves. And so for this reason, water baptism is also, is a picture of salvation. The Bible teaches that no one can save himself. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl can save himself or herself. Only God can save you, can save me. And so baptism gives us a picture of God's work, of him saving us uh, through Jesus' death and through his resurrection. Peter says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, baptism is for every one of his hearers. Each person must be baptized. It's something that is to be done to each person seeking to follow Jesus and be his disciple and to their children. Each person is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and really this is 
we would view this as synonymous with in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as well. Be baptized by Jesus' authority, acknowledging his claims upon our lives, obeying his teacher, teaching, engaging in his service, relying on the merits of his death and his life and his resurrection. To be baptized is to receive the sign of baptism, which is sprinkling or pouring or immersing with water. It's not sprinkling or pouring or immersing with water that saves a person. God saves. The water itself does not save anyone. But it gives us a picture of what God does spiritually with us and for us. It's also being baptized with the Holy Spirit that saves you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, if you want to flip back to there, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptism with the Holy Spirit, again, a a spiritual washing that the Holy Spirit does within our hearts, within our lives, so that we're empowered to repent. Peter mentions in Acts 2 these two gifts connected with baptism and with repentance as well, the gift of forgiveness of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, part of the, what we receive, the blessings of, through God and his work of salvation. Well, some of you at this point might be saying, well, that settles the matter then, Pastor. Before a person can be baptized, that person must first repent and believe, and then he or she can be baptized. So that means that bad babies shouldn't be baptized because babies can't repent and believe, So why are you about to baptize Thomas here a little later this morning? Well, unfortunately, they're not necessarily simple arguments concerning who should be baptized, or or there would be no disagreement among various Christians uh, about this matter. There are no commands that say, thou shalt baptize babies, or thou shalt not, or you shall baptize only believing adults. There are no commands that, that say that. And so we need to interact charitably with those whom we disagree on the matter of baptism. And I know even among those in our congregation, there are differing views on this. Um, Though it is the practice of, in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, to to baptize children. But let's take a look just for a moment here at Acts chapter 2, verse 39. Look at that, if you would, with me. For the promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Peter is speaking here to Jews who through faith and repentance and baptism are becoming followers of Jesus. In other words, they are new converts, new Christians. And one point that is absolutely clear throughout the Old Testament, when God enters into a covenant, into a binding relationship with his people, he works through families. He works through households, not just through individuals. When God decided to judge the world because the world was so wicked that he sent the flood, he spared and saved not just one person or not just eight individuals, but he spared Noah and his family, Noah and his wife, Noah's three sons, and his son's wives. He spared a household, a family. And when God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham, 
He did this not only with Abraham, but also with Abraham's household, Abraham's family. All of Abraham's sons were to be circumcised. All of his servants were to be circumcised as well. All the males in Abraham's household received the sign of the old covenant, circumcision. Abraham believed first before he received the sign of circumcision. And then he received the sign. But Isaac, his child, was circumcised when he was eight days, eight days old before he believed. And that's what happens with the first generation of believers, either in Abraham's time or in New Testament, New Covenant times. People believe and repent, and then they receive the sign of the covenant. But their children receive the sign first on the basis of the faith of their father or head of household. Why? Because God works through families and households. That's what he promises to do. God's covenant promises were made not only for Abraham, but also for his children and the next generation as well. And so the new believers demonstrate their faith first and then receive the sign, but the children of those households receive the sign first and then must come to the point where they own the faith for themselves, the way the first generation did, and then pass it along to their children or the faith dies out. So when Krista's father, who grew up here in Montgomery County, Maryland, and went to Wheaton High School here in this county, when he grew up here, he grew up in an unbelieving family. His parents never went to church. He didn't go to church. He came upon church through a, a church basketball league. If he wanted to play basketball on the church team, he had to go to church on Sundays to be on the team. He wanted to, he wanted to play basketball badly enough that he did that. And through going to church, he, re, he heard the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection. And he came to faith and repentance. And he was baptized. And he told his family members about it. And his brothers, uh, two of his brothers, his, his only two brothers, uh, like himself, became pastors um, uh, along the way. Uh, but his parents never came to a saving faith. But when he got married, he baptized his children as infants. Yes, he had to profess faith and, and repentance before he was baptized as one coming from outside of the faith, but his children were, were coming from inside of the covenant, and so they received the sign of the covenant baptism, just as Abraham had his son uh, Isaac circumcised. And as Steve Smallman studied the Bible, he became convinced that God works through families and through households. That's primarily how he works, uh, more so than not just through individuals. And so when he came to a verse in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 21, he was delighted to read these words. Isaiah 59, verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, says Yahweh. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring. So this morning as we gather here for baptism, Becca's parents are, are here with us. So that generation professes faith, Be Becca professes faith, 
And now we're waiting, we're baptizing Thomas that one day he too will profess faith as well. From one generation to the next, God promises to work through families. Now that doesn't mean that every person who receives the sign of the covenant, either circumcision of the old covenant or baptism of the new covenant, is a true believer or necessarily become a true believer. Um, and we'll have to leave that matter in God's hands. But it does mean that God's desire, that God's intention is to work through families. And that was his design in the old covenant with circumcision, and that is his design in the new covenant with baptism as well. And we see examples of whole households being baptized in the book of Acts. There are three to five examples of whole households that are being baptized in the book of Acts. Let me just mention one. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Paul and Silas are in jail. Uh, they have been thrown in prison, and the, and the prison doors have, have been opened, and the jailer is concerned that they're going to escape, and he's going to lose his life. He's going to be put to death because they're escaping. But that doesn't happen. Paul and Silas stay there. And here's what the Philippian jailer, who's not Jewish, he's Philippian, says. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Now, I don't know what the ages, nobody knows what the ages except God of, of the family that was baptized, but the point is that God works through families. He works through households, and we see the evidence of that in Acts. And so we're not surprised to hear Peter say then in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God's promises are not just for Jewish believers in Jesus and their children, and, but they're also for non-Jewish believers in Jesus, for all who are far off. That could be geographically far off, but at least far off from God's covenant, but are now called to be part of God's covenant people. God's plan of salvation was never intended for just one nation, the nation of Israel, but for all peoples. And so the new covenant is a fulfillment of, Abraham, of the Abrahamic covenant. Baptism is meant to set apart God's covenant people from those outside of the covenant, to show who his people are. And when the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, a response is called for. And in verse 40 of chapter 2, we read, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. No one can literally save themselves, but they may be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, through his death and through his resurrection, by embracing the gifts which God is giving. And here are the two gifts that are mentioned here in Acts chapter 2. The free gift of forgiveness of sins. Again, received by faith in Jesus Christ. Each person is a sinner and must be forgiven by God. And Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And the second gift is the free gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter calls, him, calls it the gift of the Holy Spirit in verse 38. 
the gift of the Holy Spirit himself who applies the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection to our lives. And so in verse 33 of chapter 2, Peter says, the promise of the Holy Spirit, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, this Holy Spirit that you yourselves are now seeing and hearing. And we read earlier in John chapter, or Acts chapter 1, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Three different ways about, of speaking about this same gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what we learn about this, from, about baptism, is that baptism not only gives us a picture of the washing away of our sins through Jesus' death on the cross, but it gives us a picture of the washing of rebirth of the Holy Spirit that he does as he applies this gift to our hearts and to our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives the new birth, who regenerates us, who makes us spiritually alive, those of us who are spiritually dead, so that we may respond in faith and repentance. And all of this is what we are asking to do in the baptism of any person, whether adult or child. Water baptism reminds us that salvation is God's work from the beginning until the end. We cannot save ourselves, and we do not baptize ourselves. We don't know who was baptized on that day of Pentecost that Peter preached, but we know that a large number of people believed and were baptized. Were any of these households? Our text doesn't say. We're not sure how much water was used as well, which is another point of disagreement sometimes between Christians, because water is often in short supply in Jerusalem, which is a very dry place. And there was no river running through Jerusalem, uh, like the River Jordan, which was away from there. But this much we do know, verse 41. So those who received his word and were baptized, uh, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. In other words, the church grew from 120 people to 3,000 in a very short amount of time. We don't know the names or the ages of these 3,000 people, but this was the birth of the Christian church in Jerusalem. As the first generation of believers, these men and women would profess their faith and repentance before they were baptized, just as Abraham did before he was circumcised. But their children likely would have received the sign of baptism before they professed faith and repentance because God promises to work through families, just as he worked through Abraham's family. And of course, that doesn't mean that the child that was baptized or circumcised didn't need to come to faith and repentance. They did. They needed to own it for themselves. It just meant that the sign was given before that happened rather than after that. So how do we respond this morning to these words, to the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection? Two ways. Repent and be baptized. Repent of whatever attitudes or words or ways of living that are displeasing to God, whether it's an indifference toward God, a spiritual apathy, a lack of appreciation for worship, uh, ways in which we're, we're thinking badly about baptism, or many other ways. Repent and be baptized. We need to realign our lives like that we realign the tires on our car so that they're pointing straight. They're pointing in the direction that God wants us to go. And so this morning, if you have received Christian baptism, 
give thanks for this sign graciously given by God. And as Thomas is baptized, think about its meaning for you this morning in your life. And if you profess faith in Christ and are repentant, but have not been baptized, seek to be baptized. I'd be happy to talk to you about this after the service. Love to talk to you about this after the service. And if you're not at a point of faith and repentance this morning, consider what it is that you're missing through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, and through the, the means that he gives, has given us to give us a picture of what he has for us in terms of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this sermon that, which we're able to, to read and hear uh, and 